Welcome to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of the Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a service of song as we pick up in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. In verse 31, and these are they whom David set over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark had rest. And they minister before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of the congregation with singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then they waited on their office according to their order. And these are they that waited with the children of the sons of the Kohathites and Heman the singer and so forth. Now, David actually appointed these men, and their job was just to stay in the, in the tabernacle and just sing unto the Lord. You know, sometimes we have uh, some of the ladies that come and practice the organ here in the church, and I love for there to be music here in the church. In fact, at one time we, we sought to set up a tape you know, that we, we could just play music in the church. All day. I like it. I like it whenever you come in to just have uh, music of praise unto God. I think that's great. I just, uh, I think it's great when God gives people the talent to sing. Any of you want to rehearse or anything, come on down to the church uh, and, and do your singing here. It's great. I love it. And you're welcome. Anytime you want to just worship the Lord or, or sing, Uh, unto him. Just come on down. You're free at any time to just come on in and just to worship the Lord with singing. They had hired musicians. David appointed certain ones, and they were just to be there singing all the time. It would be great. Now, I'm not much of one for choirs on Sunday morning to sing their little ditty, and, and then that's it, you know. But I would be all for a choir that would, you know, be here all day long or evening just singing praises and worshiping God. I think that would be outstanding. And so David had appointed from uh, the tribe those that were to just spend their time worshiping the Lord in music. Now, another portion of the tribe... Uh, the descendants of Mirari. Their brothers were appointed to all of the manner of the service of the tabernacle of the house of God. So they were the janitors and those that, you know, kept the physical aspects of the thing in repair. But Aaron and his sons, they were the ones that made the offerings unto the Lord uh, there at the altar, the burnt offerings and offered the incense and made the atonements, and and they were the ones that did that portion of the service unto God. And, of course, during the time of Moses, problems arose because they said, hey, Moses, you've taken too much on yourself. You've appointed your brother, the other priests, the other descendants of of Levi. They said, you've appointed your brother, you know, to the task of, of going in before the Lord. And we have as much right, Korah and his little crew, we have as much right as Aaron, you know. And so that's when Moses said, well, let's see if this thing be of God. Uh, you guys bring in your walking canes, and uh, Aaron will bring his hint. We'll set them before the Lord tonight and, and see what happens. And so they set them in the tabernacle before the Lord, 
And in the morning, Aaron's rod had budded and blossomed and had ripe almonds on it. And so he says, well, it looks like God's trying to tell us something, but let's make sure. Uh, Korah, you and your buddies stand out there in the field. Now, if this thing be of God, then let God do a new thing. Let the earth open up and swallow you guys alive. <laughs> and the earth opened up, and Korah and his whole rebellious crew went down into the pit, and the earth closed behind them. And they said, well, I guess it was of God. <laughs> no, it said, and a great fear came on all Israel. I'll bet it did. <laughs> now, it goes on now and tells the cities that were given to the priest, the cities that were given to them in Judah and the cities that were given to them in the tribe of Manasseh and in the tribe of Ishkar and Reuben and Gad and Zebulun and Ephraim and all. And it names the cities that were given to the priest. Now, when we get to chapter 7, it moves now to Ishakar, the son of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Ishkar. And it begins to list some of those from the tribe of Ishkar until you get to verse 6, and then we deal with the descendants of Benjamin. And in verse 13, the descendants of Naphtali. In verse 14, the descendants of Manasseh. Verse 20 of Ephraim, then more or less filling out the chapter with the areas that Ephraim inhabited. In chapter 8, we come back to the tribe of Benjamin. And in the tribe of Benjamin, we come down to the family of Kish, from which, of course, Saul was born, who became the first king over Israel. Verse 33, Ner begat Kish, Kish begat Saul, Saul begat Jonathan, and so you have Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. You get to chapter 9, and it declares, So all of Israel was reckoned by the genealogies, and behold, they were written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, who were carried away to Babylon because of their transgression. Again, God declares that the reason for the fall was their transgressions, carried away to Babylon. And uh, again, we come back now to the priest and uh, the descendants of the priest and the Levites and so forth. And uh, in verse 26, we are told that a portion of them, the, for these Levites, the four chief porters, were in their set office were over the chambers, the treasuries of the house of God, they lodged round about the house of God because the charge was upon them and the opening every morning pertained unto them. And so it was their duty to just live around it, to protect it from vandals and so forth, and every morning to open it up and to set things out, uh, set out all of the instruments, the vessels uh, for the worship, the fine flour, the wine, the oil, the frankincense, and all. And in verse 33, we get back to the singers. These are the singers, the chief of the fathers of the Levites, who remaining in the chambers were free, for they were employed in that work day and night. In other words, they were free from the other labors in order that day and night they may spend their whole time in just praising 
and worshiping the Lord. That would be quite an occupation, quite a job. Get paid for that. Just being around worshiping God all the time and getting paid for it. And so then we jump to verse 35, the family of Saul again through Jonathan, the descendants of Jonathan. And in chapter 10, we have the story once more of Saul's death. How in fighting against the Philistines up near Mount Gilboa, that Saul fell before the Philistines. He was hit with one of the arrows, an archer shot him. He realized that it, he wasn't going to come out of it, but he was still alive. He, Saul, was, you remember, was a big guy. Hard to kill him. And uh, he knew that ultimately the wound from this arrow would get him. And so he pleaded with his armor bearer to thrust him through, to finish him off. But his armor bearer was fearful to do it. And so Saul fell upon his own spear. He set it out in front of him and fell upon it and died. And of course, when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his spear. Jonathan and his other brothers, the sons of Saul, were slain by the Philistines clear up in the area of Mount Gilboa. The next day, as the Philistines were coming around, uh, stripping the bodies, they found the body of Saul and they cut off his head and uh, sent it through the land of the Philistines in order that they might rejoice over the fact that they had killed Saul, the king of Israel. And they put his uh, body into the, in the temple of Dagon there in Beth Shemesh, uh, which is at the northern end of the Mount Gilboa range, where Gilboa comes down to a little stream. And uh, the men across the valley, across the Jordan River, about, oh, five, 10 miles away, I guess, over in Jabesh Gilead, when they heard that Saul's body was pinned up there in the temple of the god uh, with Jonathan, they came at, and they took the bodies and they took them back over on the other side of Jordan and there they cremated them. So in verse 13, we are told, Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it and inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord slew him and he turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. So Saul died for his transgression, a fellow who had tremendous potential. I think that when God chose Saul, there was demonstrated in Saul fabulous potential as a king. He was humble. He came from a good family. He seemed to be a natural leader. He was courageous. But before long, after a few victories, the women started coming out when Saul would walk down the street and they would come out and they begin to dance with their tambourines and they would sing, Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul began to accept this praise and adulation of the people. He began to expect it. 
and pride began to get hold of the guy's life. And, and this is the thing that destroyed him. That humility was gone. And now this arrogancy and pride, which led to the tremendous jealousy of David, trying to drive David out, and then his disobedience to the commandments of God. And finally, when God would not answer him, he went to the witch at Endor to inquire of her, and therefore God allowed him to be killed there on the Mount Gilboa. David became the king, and so in chapter 11, all of Israel gathered themselves to David in Hebron, and it tells the numbers of people that gathered huge force of people from all of the tribes gathered to David. Hundreds of thousands actually gathered down in Hebron. And uh, the mighty men, men of war and so forth. Now, they said to David, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. And moreover, in times past, even when Saul was king, you were the one that led us out and brought us in. And the Lord thy God said unto thee, Thou shalt feed my people, Israel, and thou shalt be ruler over my people. Now, the twofold commission of God to David, number one, you shall feed my people, and you shall be ruler over them. David was called a man after God's own heart. Because David had the heart of a shepherd. And would to God that every leader over the people had the heart of a shepherd. He was a shepherd made king. But coming from that background, he made an ideal king. Because his interest was always in the sheep. And of course, the primary need of the sheep is to be fed. Now, in the New Testament, that thought is carried over. As Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Later, Peter wrote, feed the flock of God, which is among you. Jeremiah, the Lord said, and in that day I will give them pastors who will feed them in the knowledge of God. And so the command of David to feed the sheep as you rule over the people. And, and how important it is for a pastor today to teach the people the knowledge of God, to feed the sheep. Therefore the elders came to Hebron, made a covenant with David before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. Now they, they did it again. He had already been anointed earlier. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem. And the inhabitants, the Jebusites who were in Jerusalem, said, you can't come in here. And David said, you just think I can't. And he took the castle of Zion, and he said, whosoever smites the Jebusites first shall be the chief and the captain over the men. So Joab, his nephew, went up first, and he became the chief. And David dwelt in the castle, and they began to call then Jerusalem, uh, the south slopes, uh, the city of David. And David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him.
the secret behind David's greatness. The Lord of hosts was with him. Now we get a list of some of David's mighty men. And it's interesting, this first one that is listed is Joshobim, verse 11. And he was the chief of the captains. Now, in, in the other records, nothing is spoken in, in kings of this guy Joshobim. And yet he was, he was a pretty powerful guy because in one battle, he lifted up his spear against 300 men whom he killed. I mean, he had 300 to his credit in one battle. So he was not to be messed with. Now after him, also one of the three mighties, of course, Joab was the first, and then, after, uh, then Eliezer was the third. He was one of the three mighties. And David was at uh, Pasdanum, and the Philistines were gathered together in battle. And there was a parcel of ground that was full of barley, and all of the people fled from before the Philistines. And David and this other fellow, Eliezer, stood in this field of barley while the Philistines attacked. And David and Eliezer defeated the Philistines. The Lord saved them by a great deliverance. David is a very interesting person. Uh, he, he has a, really there's, there's much in David to be admired and of course there's much to identify with because David was a man and he was subject to the same problems and temptations and David wasn't a perfect man by any means. In fact, because of some of the things that he did, he was rejected from building a, the temple unto God, though it was in his heart to do it. But yet he was an admirable. And, and here the Philistines are attacking. Everybody flees. And David and Eliezer stand the ground there in the barley field and wipe out the Philistine attackers. And uh, so then it lists some of the others of the great. David, it, it speaks of how that they were near the cave of Abdullam and the host of the Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim and David was with them there in this fortress and the Philistines' garrison was then occupying Bethlehem and David said, oh boy, if I only had a drink of water from the well that's at the gate of Bethlehem. So three of David's buddies broke through the ranks of the Philistines and got him a pitcher of water from the well there at Bethlehem and they brought it back to David. And David said, oh no, I can't believe it. And he took the water and he poured it out on the ground. He said, I can't drink this. You guys hazarded your lives. You shed blood for this water. I'll give it to God. I'll pour it out to the Lord. And so he poured the water out on the ground because uh, he, he just felt unworthy uh, to drink that water. He felt that those guys that were willing to hazard their lives for something like that, better that they, that they give it to the Lord. So he poured it out to the Lord, verse 18. God forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? And for the jeopardy of their lives, they brought it to me. Therefore, he would not drink it. 
but these things did these three mightiest men. And Abishai, who was the brother of Joab, he was the chief of the three, for lifting up his spear against 300, he slew them and had his name among the three. So uh, yet he, he did not attain to the first three. Uh, Benaniah, one of the second three, along with Abishai, had done many acts. He killed two lion-like men of Moab. Now, whatever that may be, probably hairy guys with bushy hair and beards. Also, he went down and slew a lion in a pit in a snowy day. And he slew an Egyptian uh, who was a giant, seven and a half feet tall, who had a uh, spear that was like a weaver's beam. And he took and with his spear, knocked the spear out of the guy's hand. And then he killed him, and so he became one of the three, but not as mighty as the first three. And then the, the other 30 of the mighty men of David, he had 30 who were just really outstanding guys, and so their names come in for special mention. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of First Chronicles on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 1 Chronicles 6-11 through 11 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. And now may the Lord help you to assimilate that which we have studied, and may he bring to your remembrance those things which he has commanded. And may you be enriched in the knowledge of God and his will and his plan for your life. May the Lord be with you, to bless you, to guide you, and may you be kept by that power of God through faith and trust in him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.